0: This is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights podcast. Other than Walt Disney himself, there is in my mind no other individual who has made such a dent on what people know as the Disney theme park experience than Dick Nunes, whose passing has been made public today, December 13th, 2023. He is a Disney legend. And without his leadership, projects like Magic Kingdom, and Epcot, and Typhoon Lagoon would have never gotten to the finish line. His leadership was as impressive as any individual involved in the parks. And his leadership style, it was many times controversial. No one got results and made things happen like Dick Nunes. My former supervisor spoke often of how he mentored the leaders around him and spoke so keenly about the guest experience. And yet, others spoke of how he could verbally tear you apart like no other. Still, he is more than a Disney legend. He is a force to be reckoned with. When Dick Nunes joined Disneyland in 1955, the park employed 600 cast members that first summer. By the time he retired from his, quote, summer job 44 years later, Disneyland boasted 13,000 cast members and Walt Disney World employed another 50,000. He is a legend. And this podcast celebrates the essence of his leadership. Before I get started today, I will let you know that I did not wake up this morning thinking I might do a podcast on Dick Nunes. In fact, I've been working the last two days to create a podcast that overviewed everything that has gone on in Disney theme parks worldwide in 23 and what is happening in 2024. I was getting ready to, um, well, actually... Record that podcast when I learned via a number of text messages that Dick Nunes had passed away. At the time, that had still not been made known in the press. It was still quietly known among those who who knew of Dick Nunes personally. Now I mind you, I have met and have engaged and talked to Dick Nunes. I would not say I am by any means a close associate of his, but I have dealt with individuals and been mentored by individuals who worked personally for him. Moreover, my books, Disney, Leadership in You, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney, uh, A Century of Powerful Disney Insights, all of my books usually carry a number of Dick Nunes stories, and most of them Pretty amazing stories and some of them, well, frankly, lessons to be learned because there was a part of Dick Nunes that as I said in the beginning, he was a force to be reckoned with. And yet his impact is so powerful to the Disney theme park experience. He defined the customer experience at Disney. He set it in motion and it has lasted. Well, if it has gone down in your eyes over the years, it's probably because Dick Nunis wasn't in there to pick it up and polish it off. He really was the defining uh, leader in terms of creating a great customer experience, making it clean, making it friendly, making it fun. That was very much Dick Nunis at whatever cost it might have required. That's why talking about Dick Nunis on such short notice is it's a little crazy, but i I have to share a few stories that will help you get an idea of his um, his leadership and influence in really building out the Disney uh, theme park experience. It really is, uh, it's extraordinary what he has done and I hope I can do some honor to that. Just to give you a little sense of his own career, D23 in part shared uh, the fact that Dick Nunes was born May 30th of 1932 in Cedartown, Georgia. He received a football scholarship to the University of Southern California, USC. His ambition was actually to become a professional football player, which also, by the way, kind of tells you his um his approach to tackling any issue. Um, but the coach um but as a professional football player and coach That career was cut short when he suffered a broken neck while playing ball. Uh, He graduated from USC with a bachelor of science in education. Dick learned about Disneyland and its opening through his classmate, Ron Miller, who was Walt's son-in-law. On a lark, he decided to apply for a, quote, summer job at the new theme park and was hired by Van France, founder of the Disney University and author of the park's orientation and training program. Just prior to the park's July 17, 1955 debut, the duo began training Disneyland employees. Among members of their first class were Walt, Roy, and his executives. He really not only helped define the park's legendary orientation and training, he, well, frankly, he made sure it lived out in, in the day to day experience of the cast members. Dick soon worked his way up to attraction supervisor developing standard operating procedures for all of the park's attractions. We'll talk about an example with the Jungle Cruise in a minute. Many of these standards are still in use today. In 1961, he became director of park operations and helped develop, quote, Project X, better known to many as Walt Disney World. From 1967 to 1974, Dick also served as chairman of the Park Operations Committee, and in 1968 was bumped up to Vice President of Operations. By 1971, the year the Magic Kingdom opened at Walt Disney World, he was named Executive Vice President of Walt Disney World and Disneyland. In 1980, a month after his 25th anniversary with Disney, he was named President of Outdoor Recreation Division, overseeing Walt Disney World Epcot Center, and later the Disney MGM Studios theme park. Dick also consulted on plans for Disneyland Paris and Tokyo Disneyland while serving on the Walt Disney Productions Board of Directors. On May 26, 1999, exactly 44 years to the day since he joined the company, Dick finally retired as chairman of Walt Disney Attractions. So you can see he had a big career that really spanned the development of so many things that we have just come to know as, well, uh, you know, the Disney way, the Disney experience. And what I want to do is to share some of those stories for you so you have a better sense of, um, of really what it was like um, to know or to, to experience the, the effect of Dick Nunes. Uh, Dick saw himself very much as one who um, was mentored by Walt Disney. Um, Walt Disney himself modeled what others should do. He wanted his managers like Dick to be out in the park, not behind a desk. Dick was big on that. Um, um, Oftentimes, Walt would go out in the park, maybe before opening or after the park had closed Um, really walking through the park with individuals like Dick, looking for ways of improving the guest experience. One example um, of that was how Walt, one day, um, Walt boarded a jungle cruise boat. And the pilot there failed to notice that uh, he had a pretty uh, important passenger on board. When Walt stepped off of that boat, he walked up to the Frontierland superintendent, Dick Nunes, and asked, quote, what's the trip time on this ride? Nunes replied that it was seven minutes. Quote, I just got off of a four and a half minute trip, Walt said. How would you like to go to a movie and have the theater remove a reel in the middle of the picture? Do you realize how much those hippos cost? I want people to see them, not be rushed through a ride by some guy who's bored with his work. End of quote. This was probably one of the most important things Dick Nunes ever did. He turned to Walt and he said, quote, Could I go on a trip with you? Nunes asked. Then he and Walt rode one of the boats through Adventureland, and Walt explained how to conduct the trip. Speed up in the doll stretches, and slow down when you have something to look at. For a full week, the Jungle Boat pilots were timed by Dick Nunes with stopwatches until they perfected the length of the ride. When Walt arrived for his regular visit to Disneyland on the weekend, he walked through Adventureland without stopping. He did the same the following weekend. After three weeks, he finally took a ride on the Jungle Boat. When he returned to the dock, He entered the next boat for another ride. He went around four times, eliminating the possibility that operators had stacked the deck. By giving him the best pilots when he emerged from the fourth trip, he provided his only comment, a thumbs up to Dick Nunes. Since then, a thumbs up has been a sign of great service in all the Disney parks. And I have seen Dick Nunes use it on many occasions. I've also heard Dick Nunes share that story. Sometimes the number of boats changes, but the fact of the matter is Dick shared that story because he wanted to emphasize the importance that every guest have a great experience when they were aboard the attractions or various experiences one would have in the parks. He was champion of quality service. He was the leader when it came to really taking the organization to the next level. And he was um, willing to make any sacrifice necessary to make sure that occurred. For example, the building of Walt Disney World. There were a number of deadlines all being put together during the opening of Walt Disney World, everything was, was really tight in terms of making opening happen in time. Dick Nunes himself had left his family in California and had moved into a cottage in Bay Hill in the Orlando area. He often found himself sleeping on a cot in the office in order to be present for every decision and everything that was happening in getting Walt Disney World open. He, um, David Koenig, in his book, Reality Land, noted that every morning, the Walt Disney World operating committee would meet in a construction trailer. As deadlines neared, the meetings were scheduled by, Nick, by Dick earlier and earlier, until one was set up for 6 a.m., When Dick arrived the next day for that early meeting, he found his entire committee in bathrobes. Merchandising manager Jack Olson even had shaving cream on his face. Dick got the message, sent in a fun, kidding way. The meetings went back to a 7 a.m. start time. It is bureaucracy or often office politics that take the fun out of anything. But even Dick could manage to appreciate uh, having a little bit of a sense of humor. That played out through a series of experiences going back to an earlier time with Walt Disney. Dick Nunes shares this experience about being a part of the Disneyland steering committee and, uh, and, uh, and sharing his perspective, quote, I was giving this pitch to Walt and he was just killing me. He said, Nunes, you don't know what you're talking about, and walked out of the room. Everybody followed him, and I sat there in this big room all by myself. I thought I had been fired and was thinking of where I would go to get a new job when I heard the door open behind me. It was Walt. He put his hand on my shoulder and said, Look, young fellow, you keep expressing your opinions. I like it. End of quote. Dick Nunes goes on to say, I think he tested people. Later, I would sit in meetings and watch him take a position and see who would go with him. Then he would take the opposite position and see who would go with him. I think people who stuck to their guns, whether they were right or wrong, were the people Walt respected most. Now, the table of that lesson would eventually turn. After Walt Disney World opened, lines for the submarine voyage known as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea had grown long and they had grown and were slow. A discussion was being held regarding whether or not to build a second dock and add more subs at a cost of millions of dollars. A young Bruce Laval, whose assignment was to create some serious measurements revolving around how guests move throughout the park, opposed Dick Nunes and contended that once the somewhat adjacent Space Mountain opened, it was under construction at the time, the wait times for 20,000 leagues would go down. Dick countered that argument saying that when Haunted Mansion opened up at Disneyland, the thought was that the lines of Pirates of the Caribbean next door would go down. Instead, they increased. Bruce countered again by saying the problem was that to justify a ticket price increase, Disneyland had added an extra e-ticket to the ticket books. On a peak day, there was creating an additional 60,000 e-tickets, resulting in great demand to use that ticket on Pirates. When Bruce Laval was finished, the room grew silent. Dick stated, Well, that all sounds good, but that's just not the way it will work. Bruce noted that there would be no additional e-tickets when Space Mountain opened so there would be one less e-ticket to use. It was simple, supply and demand economics. Finally, Dick Dick Nunes stated, Well, young man, you sound awfully confident, don't you? Laval said, Yes, sir, I am, and I will bet my job on it. In an even sterner voice, Dick replied, We don't bet jobs here. We only bet money. With tension in the room, Bruce spoke up and said, Well then, I will bet my salary against your salary. Everyone suddenly erupted into laughter, breaking the tension. And the additional dock for 20,000 leagues under the sea? Ultimately, it was never needed as crowds mobbed the new Space Mountain. When you worked with Dick, you came with a certain opinion and you, you held to your ground. If you were going to bring an opinion, you held to your ground, and Dick was going to challenge that opinion. And he was gonna challenge your ability to work. And he himself held himself to a very high standard when it came to his own work and his own commitment to making things happen. Like Walt Disney, Dick Nunes had a great ability for being very tenacious with a vision. And in Dick's mind, that vision included beaches, waves, and surf. Dick Nunes grew up in California and he loved the surf culture and he wanted to bring that to Walt Disney World. Uh, When he was promoted to Executive Vice President at the time Walt Disney World was opening in 1971, well, the vision was for a vacation kingdom of the world and so, if that's the vision, then by all means, you need to be prepared to compete against your biggest competitor, which was Florida beaches and the oceans they bordered. Dick loved to surf, and he felt that Disney needed waves big enough to surf on. So tenacious was he at petitioning this to happen with senior management, and especially Royal Disney, that he eventually received 400000 to build a wave machine on the Seven Seas Lagoon. The result was ocean-like waves that washed upon the white sandy beaches adjacent to Disney's Polynesian Resort. The wave machine was installed before the Seven Seas Lagoon was completely filled with water, and by the summer of 1971, months before the property opened, the machine did great waves. Even Dick had the opportunity to surf on it. Unfortunately, it didn't last long. Within months, it began breaking down, not long after it started up each day. Those in water transportation complained that it was difficult to maneuver in and out of the waves. Worse, when the machine was cranking out those waves, it began to erode the beaches that had been put in place. In time, the machine was declared dead. But that didn't end Dick's interest in creating a wave machine for Walt Disney World. A few years later, River Country opened up as America's first water park. Designed initially to really serve resort guests staying in and around the Magic Kingdom, the popularity of the old-fashioned swimming hole led Dick to petition for an even bigger water park. And since other water parks like Wet n Wild had introduced wave pools, Dick thought Disney could create a water park so big that a wave pool could have surf-style waves. Years had passed since the failed attempt at creating ocean currents on the Seven Seas Lagoon. By then, the technology had changed, but the solution to creating consistent waves really came from an old idea, flushing the toilet. With water filling a set of individual chambers along the themed back wall, All that would be needed would be to flush the water into the 2.7 million gallon wave pool. Dick knew this time he had a winner. As he watched the wave pool, he tested it for the first time. So strong were the waves that they broke through the beach and flooded over into Castaway Creek. In June 1989, Disney's Typhoon Lagoon was inaugurated with Dick Nunes surfing the first wave. It remains one of the most popular water parks in the world. The water park was so popular that its sister park, Blizzard Beach, opened afterwards with its own wave pool. This winter-themed water park boasted even more slides than Typhoon Lagoon, becoming another testament to Dick Nunes' tenacity to create a place for people to come play in the water. What began as a competitor to Walt Disney World, the beach, and ocean is now Disney's domain as well with a fleet of award-winning cruise ships. Disney even has its own private island surrounded by the ocean. Perhaps Walt Disney could never imagine a cruise line in his name, but Walt did live a life and provide a vision that inspired others like Dick Nunes to do so decades later. It is his life that inspired Dick Nunes and others to take dreams to a new level. Here is another story that gives you a sense of Dick Nunes. Dick, who led the operation of Epcot Center, was on site throughout the construction, installation, and startup process. Each day, the key leaders met up with him uh, for an on site progress report. According to Building a Better Mouse, written by Steve Alcorn and David Green, who worked on the American Adventure, quote, word came down through the ranks that Carl Bongiorno, president of WED, and Dick Nunes, head of Walt Disney World, had slated that Epcot would not open unless American Adventure and Spaceship Earth were ready. Since everyone knew that Epcot would open no matter what, this translated in the Responsible engineers' minds as, quote, you don't want to know what will happen to you if this attraction doesn't open on time, end of quote. Making such statements are meaningless unless there is accountability and support behind it. In those daily sessions, Dick held everyone's feet to the fire. Those who promise the world and then didn't deliver would often walk out feeling like their skin was peeled off. Those sessions became more intense as the October 1st opening date neared. By the way, I loved what the contractor uh, Tishman said. Uh, we don't have a problem with October 1st. It's 1982. We have a problem with. <laughs> anyway, goes on to say art fro work responsible for overseeing much of the engineering work done by the Imagineers, attended via radio as, quote, engineering one. He was quick to observe who was surviving and who was crumbling. And Art learned to come to the sessions ready to listen to concerns, be open to ideas, suggest alternative solutions, make commitments, and address the realities. This earned him the respect he needed to get from Dick and the other key leaders and allowed him to get favors when he needed it most. One simple example of such a favor came just a week prior to opening. There was a lot of stress among those who were laboring over Spaceship Earth, but several attractions had challenges incorporating the technology. Many engineers and technicians were doing the arduous work debugging last-minute details of these large-scale integrated systems. The pressure was on as never before. Engineering 1, Art, was called on the radio one afternoon and was asked to come to the south end of Spaceship Earth. There, the executives met to talk about the impossible conditions of Spaceship Earth. Testing and demo work was still going on. There were too many loose ends. Nothing seemed to work at the same time. Art was um, informed that the AT&T sponsor was coming in at 10 a.m. the next day and wanted to ride the attraction. Art was asked to give it his personal attention since the lead ride engineer assigned to the attraction was burned out. Art still, started talking to everyone and various team members involved in order to figure out what was going on to make it work quickly and reliably. The engineers were under an amazing amount of stress. Art discovered that the engineer responsible for the audio had a near nervous breakdown. This individual held technical knowledge that no one else had. Art asked one of the other show designers to help him out. Seeing that they were going, to labor all night to make this happen, Art made a call to Dick's office and asked for a favor. Could he have the kitchens provide enough cheeseburgers, fries, and drinks to get them through the evening, delivered to them at 1 a.m.? Late into the evening, everyone was focused on getting the show up and running. Art walked up and down the ride talking to the crews. The problem wasn't whether anything would work, it was whether everything would work at the same time. Animation people were busily costuming show figures. Lighting was still being set. Show designers were giving last minute directives and mechanical techs were crawling all over the track and taking apart the drive systems to replace parts. Then 1 a.m. came and there were all these cheeseburgers, drinks, and fries. Soon it looked like a picnic up and down all 18 floors of the ride corridor. Contractors who'd never been treated to much of anything were talking about this being the place to be. Mechanics were relaxing and joking for the first time in weeks. Uh, The audio engineer came and seemed to have a smile, if just for a moment. By 9 a.m. the next morning, the ride was up and running. The sponsor arrived 15 minutes early and boarded the ride. Past the pharaoh, under the Sistine Chapel, and into outer space, it worked beautifully. Though the attraction would have its ups and downs in the weeks and months to come, the team had succeeded under pressure, delivering this one moment. This just gives you an idea of... All of the effort, you know, when you talk about, I mean, people talk about how it took um, four years to create Tron at the Magic Kingdom when it took the same amount of time to create all of Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, and the first set of hotels in the same time period. Well, if there was one thing that made the difference between those two projects, it was Dick Nunes. He made things happen, whether it was moving Earth in heaven, whether it was moving sod, if you remember the famous green side up story where he and others were laying sod at the Disney Contemporary Resort in the middle of the night prior to opening, or whether it was delivering cheeseburgers at Spaceship Earth. Dick Nunes made things happen. Joe Rody, who led the creation of Disney's Animal Kingdom, provided this story about his experience with Disney legend, Dick Nunes. At the time when Dick was chairman of Walt Disney attractions and Brody was busy developing Disney's Animal Kingdom. Quote, this is Dick Nunes. You might've seen him on the recent ABC special celebrating 50 years of Walt Disney World. He is another reason that Disney's Animal Kingdom came to be. He was the chairman of Walt Disney Attractions and a fierce opponent of the project because he thought it would be a zoo. If he didn't want it to happen, it was not happening because he was the chairman and because he was him. He did not play chess, he played for keeps. Dick was like a fairy tale figure at WDI, like a dragon in a cave, a tough conservative top-down, take-orders kind of guy. I was a hippie, had hair down to my waist and big earrings. Every cultural cue within the company should have us in direct conflict. But I liked him anyway. I was like, he's never done me any wrong, so what's to lose? I called him and arranged to fly to Florida and present the one-page idea for the park. This was in the first year of development, so there wasn't much else to show. I flew cross-country. I put my hair back. I wore a suit and tie. When I walked into Dick's office, he was sitting there wearing a Hawaiian shirt, white Bermuda shorts, sandals, and a huge dangling clip-on earring. There's not many people left uh, who know just how unexpected that would be. I pointed to my suit, dude, I did this for you. He replied, I did this for you. I set up my boards, did my presentation. Nudis said, well, you've addressed my concerns. This isn't what I thought it was. It's new. It's great. It's feasible. You have my support 100%. And we did because he was and is a man of integrity. That is rare. And that is why I liked him. Make no mistake, without his support, nobody would have given us the time of day. People give me a lot of credit for getting this park built, but really, it was because of alliances, partnerships, teams, patrons, because of relationships. Never forget that if you are someone who aspires to this career, nothing is done alone. So, you are never alone in what you seek to do. I may never meet Dick Nunes again, but I, and anyone who likes Disney's Animal Kingdom, owe him a debt of thanks. Well, on such short notice, I hope this gives you something of a taste of who Dick Nunes was and his presence and influence in making the Disney theme parks what they are today. If you have a chance, uh, Make sure you check out my books, uh, especially A Century of Powerful Disney Insights, which covers stories of Dick Nunes and others who have made Disney a success over the last 100 years. Clearly, in the theme park arena, Dick Nunes is legendary for his contribution. Um, Controversial at times, but definitely impactful and powerful. I think last night, it was so funny, I got together yesterday with some colleagues uh, at Steakhouse 71 to celebrate a birthday. And they were former leaders of Disney who had positive and not so positive experiences personally with Dick. We got into a story. I got into some stories about uh, uh, their times with Dick Nunes. Later that evening, I was over at Epcot. My son wanted to go and watch the new Luminous show again. He loves that show. And um, we're standing there in the front section of uh, World Showcase. He wants to get there early. So as a father, I'm there at two hours prior to uh, the fireworks. And I'm looking out at World Showcase and and thinking a little bit about... Uh, our conversations earlier in the day about Dick Nunes, not knowing what, that his passing would come the very next day. But I looked out over World Showcase and I thought, this this would not have been here if it had not been for the persistence of Dick Nunes in making it happen and making it realized. Oh yes, so many people supported in making that happen including imagineers who at times were frankly very much at odds marty Sklar spares no words in his um in his biography about the run-ins he had with dick nunes and yet at the same time um it was those those that yin and yang that created ultimately the Disney experience that we have come to know and love today. So I um, I send this podcast to you today in memoriam of Nick Nunes, Disney legend, knowing that very much there is so much to learn about leadership in one's life from individuals who have truly been some of Disney's foremost pioneers. Again, thank you for joining us for this Disney at Play podcast. We appreciate your support. We appreciate when you have a chance to go online and to um, make sure you're not only subscribed, but also share a positive rating or review. Mention my books, Disney Leadership in You, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney, and our most recent a century of powerful Disney insights to know more about these stories and how their messages communicate something about leadership and serving your customers and making a greater experience organizationally. That's what these messages are all about. It's certainly what uh, the messages of this podcast on Dick Nunes was about today finding leadership in the best ways possible and learning the lessons of leadership from others. Again, thank you. In the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.